It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Buckeye fans, and welcome to another episode of the Buck Nuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy with Buck Nuts and 24-7 Sports. And Ryan Day said on National Signing Day during his press conference that he was going to need a beer after the day that uh, the Buckeyes had, some some stressful moments. So uh, I'm going to enjoy a cold beer here. I've got, I think it's fitting. It's called Boom with an exclamation point. Tasty. I think that's a perfect beer coming out of signing day there. We've got a big show. We're going to talk signing day. We're going to talk Ryan Day's press conference, which went rather long uh, on Wednesday. We'll talk about the transfer portal, and then we'll dig into some of the things we're looking forward to, what we're expecting from the Cotton Bowl. And since it's a big show, we've got two guests today, and guests you will know, Steve Hellwagon, Dave Biddle, my guys at uh, Bucknuts and 24-7 Sports. Dave, I uh, I see you got the memo on the crew championship memorabilia that you're wearing, uh, your new crew crew MLS Cup hoodie there. So yeah, buddy. That. we'll have to get something for Steve. Yes, by all means. And Kevin Noon, too, our friend. Yeah, he, he loves he loves soccer. So get yeah. Him, get, him some, get him some orange slices. He'll be he'll, he'll be happy. He's a big soccer fan, emphasis on big. So yeah. there, there you go. All right. Well, let's not bore people with the soccer talk. Let's get into Buckeyes and signing day. Uh, that was one of the stranger press conferences I've ever been to because it started off in a very, I don't know if I would say negative tone, but it was certainly not upbeat at the beginning when it looked like the Buckeyes were going to lose Edric Houston. Uh, there were still questions about Jeremiah Smith, two five-star prospects. And then literally during the press conference, Ryan Day gets news that Jeremiah Smith has committed. They think Mark Pantone walked in and gave him a thumbs up and Day faked almost a collapse at the podium. Then he had to leave and go get on the phone, and it turned out he was on the phone. We found out later with Edric Houston, who did end up signing with the Buckeyes as well. Dave, I'll start with you. Just uh, what did you make of kind of how the tenor of that press conference changed as it uh, became clear that the Buckeyes were going to land two of the guys that 
were a bit of a question mark heading into the morning. Yeah, that has to be uh, the most wild press conference I've ever covered at Ohio State. I was trying to think. There's been some others. You know, there's been Gordon Gee. Like, I, I just hope he doesn't fire me. I mean, there's been like many, many, many. But um, that was just crazy. And you're right. It wasn't and crazy because it was just bad. It just had a lot of twists and turns. Um, I've never seen – maybe I'm missing something. There's been press conferences I've covered with Jim Tressel on signing day, Urban Meyer, and even Ryan Day the last few years. Well, they'll talk about – you know, they can't say the name, but – there's just a few guys that haven't made their decision yet. And, you know, there's stuff like that. But I've never seen an Ohio State coach react in real time um, to landing a player. And that, that would be Jeremiah Smith. And then we knew the Edric Houston stuff, too, when he had to leave the room to take the call, presumably from Edric Houston or someone close to him. And he came back in the room literally skipping. So you're right. It went from a, you know, very um, you know downtrodden mood to a very upbeat mood within the same press conference. And it was like a hockey game. There was – Two intermissions, you know, <laughs> two intermissions. So that was another like another thing that was thrown in there. You had Gene Smith in the back, and he was holding court during uh, one of the intermissions. Mark Pantone was there chilling in the back. It's too bad we didn't get a chance to talk with him. But uh, it definitely ranks up there with, uh, I think it's number one on my list as far as, uh, you know, craziest press conferences uh, at Ohio State that I've covered. Steve, in, in your mind, you, you can answer the same question, but I'm also curious your opinion on the – need to have landed those two guys because I think people were pretty pessimistic about this class if those two guys aren't a part of it at the top of it. Yeah, I agree 100% uh, with that premise. I mean, you're talking about a class that uh, now is it's down to number four in the composite. And again, I've never been somebody who's worried too much about, you know, class rankings because, <coughs> excuse me, how do you compare Ohio State with 20 signees to Georgia, Alabama, and whoever else is in front of them, maybe Oregon, uh, you know, we're getting 25, 27, 28 signees. I can tell you this, looking at five stars, Ohio State's got five of them, and nobody, nobody else has five of them. And they would have had six, but Jeremiah McClellan jumped off the train, you know, at right before the station and ended up signing with Oregon instead. So it was really critical that they held on to those two guys. And you look at both situations. I mean, Jeremiah Smith had been committed since last December, a year. And he and Brian Hartline had this kinship. And he saw himself as the next Marvin Harrison Jr. who was going to come in and uh, change the game and in three years jump off and be in the NFL. I mean, that's he's the number one overall player in the country. From Hollywood, Florida, uh, Madonna Shamanad yep. High School. Shamanad Madonna. Yeah, yeah. So this is a guy that theoretically is going to be in the two deep, if not start, next year at wide receiver for Ohio State, and that's critical. I mean, you lose Harrison, could lose Abuka. You did lose Fleming. Uh, you're going to have Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes, obviously, but the more the merrier, certainly. And then the other one, Edric Houston. My goodness. Uh, Dave, you, you put the question to uh, Coach Day about the defensive and offensive line recruiting and Larry Johnson's status. And, uh, you know, had they not held on to Edric Houston, it's pretty bad. I mean, you talk about Eric Mensa, a guy ranked in the six or seven hundreds nationally, would have been the only signee on the defensive line, the only one. And he's probably going to equate more as a tackle. He's 290 pounds. Here's uh, Edric Houston, 260-pound 
national top 50 player, like 30 in the country, something like that overall. And so it was critical. Uh, I think that Alabama, Steve Wilfong had uh, uh, crystal balled uh, Edric Houston to Alabama on Tuesday night. And obviously things changed after that. I don't know if Ohio State increased its offer or whatever happened. You know, we, we don't know. But uh, that changed him. And then Smith, he, he signed at a press conference and was live on the Internet. And then it took about seven or eight hours for him to actually send the uh, national letter of intent. And I think it was almost 10 p.m. when I was getting ready to go to bed. I saw the tweet from Ohio State that, oh, he's in the class finally. So uh, I called it the national signing day from hell. And uh, I'm sticking with it. That was for 29 years of doing this full time. Craziest national signing day I've ever attended. And I want one last thing, though, I didn't bring this out yesterday. But Jeremiah Smith, you know, signing at a press conference, telling the world he's going to Ohio State, and then for 10 hours holding Buckeye Nation hostage before he sends it in. This reminded me 25 years ago, there was a running back by the name of Darrell Price from Los Angeles, and uh, they got him committed. He signed at his ceremony. They went to the drugstore to fax the letter of intent into Ohio State. And they left the drugstore and they got a phone call from Ohio State saying it didn't go through. He and his mom took that as a sign that Ohio State wasn't where he was supposed to go. And instead, he went back and signed with UCLA and ended up going to UCLA. So that's what I was having flashbacks was, was the fax machine at the drugstore in Hollywood, Florida, wasn't working properly or something. I don't know. What happened, Steve? Remind me what happened with Niall Diggs. I was in college when that happened. Oh, former, I'm going way back. Well, that happened with Niall Diggs, a linebacker from yes. California, where he was going to go to, I think, USC. Yes. And then something happened. Like they did something weird that pissed him off. So he then came to Ohio State at the last second and surprised I think, everybody. I think that there, I don't know if this is when Pete Carroll got there or something happened. Because this would, yeah. this would have, no, this would have been earlier than that. This would have been like, yeah, like 97, 96, 96. Right. And there maybe they fired the linebackers coach, the guy that he was going to play for okay. after right after signing day. Maybe whoever was the coach might have been Hackett was the coach at that time. Yeah. I think that there was a change. And Niall Diggs' sister, uh, who may or may not have been his guardian at the time, stormed into uh the USC Heritage Hall football office and said, I want that letter back and got the letter back from them, said, if you don't, I'm going to create a big stink. And they didn't want that because he was from Dorsey High School, which was one of the top talent producing high schools in L.A. And they didn't want to mess up their conduit at Dorsey by screwing over Niall Diggs, who was a pretty big time player. And then Ohio State was next in line for him. And so, yeah, it was it was crazy. And then something beyond that, didn't she end up getting married uh, to Gary Berry's uncle or brother or something? It was crazy. They end up related somehow out of all this. I have to go back in my mind and figure out what it was, but it was it was nuts. Sorry to put you on the spot like that. I just remember. No, no, that was another one. But that was was Niall. 
Yeah, I just remember there was something really interesting with Nile, which was a great name, by the way. Nile. Those guys were from LA around the same time, Darrell Price and uh, Nile Diggs. Yeah, and Diggs was a heck of a linebacker at Ohio State. He was three and done. Hey, and then we had people invoking the name of another LA guy yesterday, Kenyon Rambo, about, uh, you know, is this another, I don't know why they brought him up in relation to Jeremiah Smith, other than the great Kenyon Rambo story was he told our friend Jason Lloyd one time. Chase, they knew I was going to be late for shit when they voted be captain. He campaigned hard to be captain that year, I remember. I remember Kenyon Rambo going out of his way. They knew I was going to be late to shit when they voted me captain. That was Cooper's And you wonder why you couldn't win with these people. <laughs> Cooper just everything went. I mean, that year you had Kenyon Rambo as one of your captains. Reggie Germany had a 0.0 GPA. Cooper just was going down in flames, baby. People, people today are pissed that they didn't get the third defensive lineman or the fifth offensive lineman. It's like FFS, go back to the 80s and 90s and live through what we lived through and come back and see me. 11 and 1 with an occasional loss to Michigan ain't so damn bad. Jesus, God. Uh, from yeah. now on, you're in the playoff every year. Who gives a crap? You know, just just go with it. Go with roll with the punches. I'm wait, the next Ohio State fan who rolls with the punches will be the first one. Jesus. Okay. These are stories you don't get on many other podcasts, I don't think, because uh, you don't have guys like Steve and Dave who have been doing it as long as they have. Uh, we had a couple questions here relating to the same thing. Airbook asked, are we really using fax machines? No way. And Aaron Powers, why do they still use fax machines for letters of intent? Is there a specific reason? Uh, from what I actually learned this yesterday, you no longer have to fax in. There's actually not a rule anymore. So as long as you send in a letter of intent, it can come. You can scan it and email it. You can hand deliver it. You can fax yeah. it. Whatever method you can use to get it in now apparently is all within the realm. So I think they just take a picture of it and send it off their phone. Yeah, is what yeah. They can I think do that now, as obviously. long as it gets to the program and you can prove that you've signed it, it's uh, really all they need at that point. So yeah. yeah, faxing is the way that we just rephrase it because that's the way it was done for so long. But no longer do you have to only uh, only fax it in. But anyway, let's look at this class a little bit. Um, you talked about the the top two guys there and, and kind of the impact they could make right away, Steve. But the there are going to be some other guys that may have to play fairly early on. Uh, Dave, who are maybe a guy or two that you could see coming in? And I don't know about necessarily starting as true freshmen, but at least contributing next year in, in a meaningful way. Yeah, definitely James uh, Peoples. I, he's a guy right now. I, I do think they're going to add a running back to the from the portal at some point. And it sounds like, you know, Coach Dave is pretty open about, um, you know, are you going to be aggressive in the portal, especially that you didn't land as many recruits as you initially planned? And he answered the question, yes. So if you're wondering if they're going to be aggressive in the portal now, you know. Um, so I think James Peoples has to be one. Even, even if they do get another running back, even if Trey Henderson does come back, which I'm leaning towards thinking he will. We'll see. That's not anywhere near a certainty, but I think Trey's going to come back if I had to bet. They'll have Dallin Hayden. Um, and then James Peoples is going to be right there. Um, and I really like the fact that he you know, he's played against top competition in Texas and looked good doing it. You, you pop on his highlight film, and I know it's highlight film, but still um, against top competition, he looks really good. And running back's one of those positions where, as we all know, you can come in and play right away at running back. There's a certain spots where it's like you can come in and play right away. Wide receiver, 
Now, Ohio State's pretty advanced with what Brian Hartline does. So you can come in and play right away at wide receiver. So we're going to see Jeremiah Smith um, come in and play. Um, you know, and there's, you know, you could say Aaron Nolan's in the mix, I, I guess. I've heard people say, you know, you can't rule that out. I hear if he's, you know, I'm not opposed to starting a true freshman if he's the best guy. I just think if I had to bet, it's probably unlikely he's going to beat up both Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz. But, you know, there's there's going to be a few, but the, you know, the one that comes to mind immediately, Patrick, would be uh, James Peoples because, A, I just think he's a good running back. B, true freshman can play right away at running back. And C, there is a need there. So you add it all up. I think James Peoples, if he's healthy, um, is going to play a decent amount as a true freshman. I think we're going to have a better idea about the quarterback position after the Cotton Bowl with uh, Devin Brown going against a quality Missouri national. I don't know what their ranking is, but the team is a top 10 team. Yeah, so nine. I presume nine. Yep. Yeah. So I think you're going to have a better idea if Devin Brown can be that guy. It's rare that a freshman would come in and start. Arch Leister may be the only one in my recollection. Braxton. As as a, uh, I mean the first well, start game. the start the gotcha. first game as the true freshman, Pryor and Braxton both got in there in the second, third, fourth game, whatever, and finished the season. Kyle Obviously. McCord started a game as a true freshman. Just throwing yes, that out. He did. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I, see, I see what Steve means to, to open the season as a starting yeah, no. point. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah, to go, you know, to start the season and be a start of the whole year. Right. As I go down the list uh, of of guys. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Jeremiah Smith, and they lost out on Jeremiah McClellan. But my Mylon Graham from Indiana is as good as anybody in the country at wide receiver. So he's going to come in and push for a two-deep spot, just the same as Jeremiah Smith will. Ian Moore, offensive lineman from Indiana, is going to come in and push for a two-deep spot, just like Montgomery did this past year. I envision that. Deontay, Devontae Armstrong, I think are guys that are down the line guys who could start years three, four, and five in the program. Perhaps uh, maybe redshirt next season, continue their development and figure out, obviously, uh, one of them is a tackle for certain. The other one who played left guard this past season uh, could be either a tackle or a guard at the college level, depending on how his body fills out. But they are – I met them at the camp. They are bright kids. Yeah. They are hard workers. They're great athletes. I mean, Mark Porter loves these guys, and Mark doesn't miss on this very often, and winners. <clears throat> I mean, whatever their record was the last two years, like 30-1, and one, something like that, uh, they were starters for two championship teams and backups as sophomores on the third championship team. So those guys know what it takes to win – and then uh, Mark and I, on our story that we did with the experts, the two guys that I think are just huge, 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 huge are the lockdown corners, Aaron Scott and Bryce West. Mark says he remembers when Aaron Scott was six feet tall, and then he was six one, and then he was six two, and he said, Steve, I think he played this year at 6'3". And if you have a 6'3 corner, that's almost unheard of. With great length, they aren't completing any passes over him or in his vicinity. So when you have locked down corners like he and Bryce West could potentially be for this program for at least three years, uh, that helps you so much defensively. You could do so many more things with your coverages, your blitz package, and everything else. So uh, to me, 
Uh, those two guys, I mean, I know they've got Jermaine Matthews in the program. Uh, Igbenosin will be back this year as a starter. And Jordan Hancock, I would figure, is going to come back. So your top three corners, but I mean, Burke is obviously your top top. And I'm putting him like 60 70% out the door for the NFL after this game. But uh, I would think, you know, those two guys are going to get some run as true freshmen. And certainly the following year when there's no Hancock, no Ed Benoson, potentially uh, they're going to be, you know, pushing Matthews to start. So uh, they could be both two-year starters, three-year starters. So there's a lot to like here. I know it, it, it was clunky in spots. Yes, there are some open holes still out there, like, but at the same time, we see linebacker. Well, they got eight linebackers. I mean, what? How many more linebackers do you need? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, they got seventeen defensive linemen. If you can't find four of them out of seventeen guys to play, you got like fifteen, sixteen offensive linemen. If you can't find five of them that can play, then you got a problem with your development and not with your recruiting. Yeah, you mentioned the the corners. I think that was kind of where I was going to go. Other than the few guys Dave mentioned just because we've seen freshman corners play. I mean, going back to Denzel Burke starting, now that was a, a unique situation. But even some of the guys that have had to play just because of injuries and, and whatnot and played well. Uh, you mentioned Jer- Jer- whoa. You mentioned Jermaine Matthews, excuse me. Uh, but there's been a few of the young guys that have had to step in um, over the last two seasons. So with as good as, as Aaron Scott and Bryce West are advertised as, it would surprise me if they don't at least get some meaningful snaps during their freshman season. Um, Jeremiah Smith, I think everyone's really excited about, but we've we've kind of seen, I don't want to call it drama because the kid is entitled to take visits wherever he wants until he's signed. And the signing extension that we talked about last night, um, I think that had more to do with kind of getting everything taken care of, maybe some NIL stuff as well. Uh, than it did he wasn't going to sign, though I do think it was close with Miami based on what he said. Dave, they've done a really good job, even when they've brought in these really, really good receivers, that they haven't had the diva type. And I'm not saying I'm labeling Jeremiah Smith that. I've never talked to the kid, and I don't want that out there that, that I'm labeling as that. But obviously there's been some bumps in the road in this recruitment. What what do you think happens when he gets on campus, and, and how do you think Ohio State handles – you know, he's the number one recruit in the country, right? And and sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case with him, but sometimes that comes with a little bit more, you know, handling. How do you feel like he will uh, fit into the culture in that receiver room that Brian Hartline's built? I caught the vast majority of what you said there, but you cut out just a little bit. You you said that he's a, that Jeremiah Smith is a diva? No, Come on, Patrick. No, um, no, no. no. Kidding. Kidding. <laughs> no, I, I think – with stuff like that, you know, I mean, I, I became immune to it a long time ago. And like, if anything, it was good for business, right? Uh, it kept, <laughs> it, they have this metric that that I love and Steve loves and Dan Rubin loves called sessions where you got to, they measure how many times people come back to your website where our, our sessions must have been just rocking yesterday. So Jeff sessions. Um, yeah, Jeff, yeah, there you go. Ramon Jeff sessions. Um, so um yeah, man, I, I I don't mind these kids. They have like, you know, it's like a lot like Aaron Scott, even though there was no drama toward the end with him. Aaron Scott had a lot of fun with the process with uh, the Michigan, Ohio State stuff. And I don't think it was just having fun. I think he actually really liked what he was hearing from Michigan. And um, he actually was torn. His dad's big, a big Ohio State fan. He's right down the road from me here, um, about a half hour down the road. I live in Hilliard. He's from Springfield. So I don't mind these kids having fun is my point. 
um, he ended up, you know, he probably needed to get some things situated and maybe it wasn't even him. Maybe it was people close to him saying, don't sign until you know for sure this is what you're getting. And there was a lot of pressure on this kid. We're not talking about just a kid from Florida. We're talking about a kid like from Miami, you know, at least that area. So there was a lot of pressure on that young man um, to go to Miami and um, great job by Ohio State. Now, if they would have lost out on him, I'm not going to change what I said. I mean, it would have not been ideal, but um, I still, if it was either him or Edric Houston, give me Edric Houston just because of, I'll never lose sleep over Ohio State losing a wide receiver when they have Brian Hartline and Ryan Day. I think they're going to find ways to get it done. That being said, it's huge to get him because he is the number one player in the country, not just the number one wide receiver, and they get Edric Houston. So it worked out really well for Ohio State. Steve, uh, a couple guys we haven't talked about that I think will be interesting are the two tight ends in this class. And obviously Ohio State hasn't been known to be a, a tight end program in terms of statistics, but Cade Stover's had really good last two years. Jeremy Ruckert had a good final season. You've got four-star Max LeBlanc and three-star Damarian Witten, and Witten was just the MVP of the U.S. All-American Bowl. We saw Witten in person at one of the camps last summer. Uh, what do you make of these two tight ends? And they seem like guys Ohio State could use maybe in a different way than they, at least, especially with Witten than they have with uh, some of the recent ones is just inline blockers who also catch. Yes, I read today's boarding house and I noted that uh, that uh, the source that was quoted in there said they lost Jeremiah McClellan, but don't worry about it. They still got three wide receivers in this class because he's counting to Marion Witten, who honestly could go either way. Yeah. My guess is kind of like G. Scott. He's going to get into college and have a couple cheeseburgers and pound some weights and next thing you know he's 230 240 pounds and they're going to say you know could you line up here right next to the left tackle on this play and <laughs> gonna have some some tight end in his future but uh you know there's nothing wrong with being a cross-trained guy who does both as long as you can do all aspects of both and that's blocking catching you know protecting the quarterback Interesting. One dynamic of taking Aaron Nolan, a left-hander, is now do you play your best tackle at the right tackle position, protecting his backside if he, you know, one day becomes the starter? And an interesting time. I'm dovetailing off on 12 different tangents, but every time I talk and think about something, something else pops into my head. And Ryan Day said he's going to be the leader of this team about Aaron Nolan. And that was crazy. I mean, for him to say that in such a definitive manner. I mean, Devin Brown, correct me if I'm wrong, Sandy, has three years left of eligibility. So, you know, if we kill all the golfers, they're going to throw us away and throw away the key. But, uh, you know, I just look at it that uh, uh, LeBlanc is from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and is playing at a prep school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the Baylor school. And they did really well this last two years with him at tight end. And he's more than just a blocker. Mark uh, Porter went through his videotape with me, and it was really nice how good of a player, all-around player he is. So LeBlanc may be more of the traditional tight end. Witten could be the flex tight end, like G. Scott, who kind of morphs from one to the other. Uh, maybe a little bit more than even G. Scott did. And uh, I'm here for it because he had three touchdowns in the uh, All-Star game on Monday night. Uh, our friend, comrade uh, Brendan Gulick, 
called that game for stadium. And then he was there at the press conference on Wednesday and he got the first question and asked about Demarion Witten and somebody in one of the live chats saw that and said, the first question's about Demarion Witten, you know, just like exclamation point, like, who is this guy? Well, that was fresh in Brendan's mind from calling that game on Monday night. He had three touchdowns. so And he threw yeah. one. He threw one. Oh, my God. I didn't see that. Yep. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about both those guys. And they join a room. Obviously, Joe Royer is no longer there. But uh, I figure Kate Stover is probably gone to the NFL. He's got a year of eligibility left. G. Scott, Sam Hart, Bennett Christian, who's coming back from a year of suspension, Jelani Thurman, Jelani who Thurman. everybody yes. loves, and yes. then uh, Max LeBlanc and Damarian Witten. Uh, I would figure that one or both of those guys would redshirt uh, this upcoming year, but you know, you never know. Putting a bow on the recruiting part of this, and we'll, we'll get on to kind of some of the team stuff here, but you mentioned off the top, Steve. I think that Buckeyes are number four now in the in the rankings for this year. Composite six yeah. by twenty four seven. How do you? Where do you feel like Ohio State needs to be, or does it really matter all that much as long as you're getting certain guys in certain positions? What? Where's kind of the sweet spot from here and above is about where Ohio State should be every year. Well, yeah. Other than uh, the transition year from. Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, which would be the 2019 class, which was 14th nationally. All of Day's classes have been in the top five. And I think just about all of Urban's prior to that were in the top five, certainly the top 10. So that one class in 2019 was the outlier. And there were a ton of good players that came. Like Dewan Jones was the lowest rated player in that 2019 class. And he's in the National Football League right now. So that'll just tell you you know, a little bit about the recruiting on the whole at Ohio State has been really good. I think the playoff is a paradigm switch for college football, just as name, image, and likeness and uh, transfer portal have been paradigm changes for our sport in that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to go 12-0. and 0. You don't even have to go 11-1. and 1. If you go – I mean, let's look who's in these New Year's Six Bowl games – Oregon's in one of them at 10 and two, you know, uh, Penn state's in one of them at 10 and two. Those are playoff teams next year. In fact, Ohio state would have played Penn state in the seven 10 game at beautiful Ohio stadium, uh, just the other day, if this year was next year. So you don't have to be perfect to win the national championship. They could have won the national championship last year with a loss to Michigan. So, you know, that day is coming when Alabama wins it in a year that it loses to Auburn or Ohio State wins it in a year that it loses to Michigan. That day is coming. And so I don't I don't take any special joy in that other than to say as long as you recruit top five, top six, top seven classes every year, you're in the playoff. Just mark it. I we mean, you have, to have a, a rash of injuries or something – a bunch of ineligibility, a scandal would knock you out of the playoff. We've already seen it too, Steve. I mean, you know, in all intents and purposes, once in the uh, BCS era, we had the year where LSU beat Alabama in the regular season. Then they played in the BCS national championship game and Alabama yep. wins Alabama's national champion. It's like, okay, well, and then we had, you know, the one recently where Georgia, um, Alabama. Alabama, yeah, Georgia and Alabama, where, where Georgia, yep. Alabama beat Georgia and then Georgia beat Alabama or vice versa. Um, 
Yeah, it was Georgia beating Alabama, right? Yeah, so we've yeah. already seen that. We, and, and that you're right. That's going to be enhanced now with the 12-team playoff. We're going to see – it's not going to be quite have an NCAA tournament feel, but now you're going to have the one seeds, basically the teams that would have been one through four. Then you're going to have like the two seeds, you know, five through eight, and then the three seeds, you know, nine through 12. And heck, if you if you're a hot team and you're one of those nine through twelve teams and you're hot at the right time and you're healthy, you could win the national championship. Yep. Here's a hot take: no one regular season game is going to be the end all be all. No one game is going to put you in, and no one game is going to put you out. And that's that sucks for everybody who bases their entire existence on that one game in late November. But I'm here to tell you that one game isn't going to end your chances of doing something really big later on if you get hot. So that's that's just the fact of it. It's We're going into a different time, in a different age, and I think there's going to be more parity. As much as we talk about having a top five class guarantees you automatically, I think outside those teams that are consistent top five, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, there's – you know, and then Oregon, Clemson are kind of, you know, flirting around in that ether. I think that uh, – there's going to be tremendous upheaval after the top five. I think you can go from 40 to the top 10 one year, and you can go from the, you know, Penn State can go from the top 10 down to 40 pretty easily uh, with the parity that's going to hit the sport, I think, with Transfer Portal and NIL buying of players. Yeah. I mean, look, Ohio State, I think, would have missed the 12 team playoff once since 2004, and that was the Luke Fickle year. Pickle year. Yeah. So, hey, I dropped this one on Noonan, the guys there on the other show. I said, fickle year is our euphemism for what the SEC hardcores at Alabama, Georgia, LSU say when Ohio State beats Arkansas and Missouri in a bowl game. That, that That's not real SEC. That, 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 that's, it's SEC, but it, it's not real SEC. And same with Texas and Oklahoma until they win their, earn their stripes. If next year Ohio State beats Texas or Oklahoma or Michigan beats Texas in the regular season next year, oh, that, that's not real SEC. They're not, they're not SEC yet. They're not yeah. SEC. We'll let you know when we consider them to be SEC. Fickle year, fickle year was, was not Ohio State. Fickle, fickle year was not Ohio State. They're, they're rushing the frat. They yeah. have not gone through hell week yet. They're not official no. members of the frat yet. That's not SEC. Um, real quick, I want to touch on the transfer portal. Dave, you have a story that's on the front page of Bucknuts right now about Ryan Day talking about transfer portal. Um, quickly from each of you, we'll start with Dave. Where are you going if you're Ohio State? Where are you pushing for in the transfer portal? First of all, I think you need to have an NFL draft viewpoint on this best available. Even if there's a player at a position where it's not a priority, if Whoever you think is better than who you have, take them. So best player available has got to be the, at every position. Scour it. And I, and I know they are. Mark Pantone leaves no stone unturned um, when it comes to recruiting and the portal. So that I would start with that. And then, but you have to target certain positions. There's no doubt about it. And I think they need to cast somewhat of a wide net. You can't just, you know, you can't use the sniper approach. I don't know if you have to go machine gun approach, maybe somewhere in between um, where if you miss out on a guy, even if you're confident you're going to get him, you do have, um, a suitable backup plan, but certainly offensive tackle. I would love to see them land a, a, a plug and play starting offensive tackle. I thought Josh Simmons was solid. So then you'd have Simmons and the transfer at tackle, move Josh Fryer inside to guard. Boom. There you go. And other guys will be competing guys like Tegra 
you know, or on the way up, uh, Luke Montgomery, guys like that. But I'd like to see them get one standout offensive lineman and maybe somebody for depth, although I don't think that's necessary. Um, give me a starting offensive lineman. Give me a running back. They're going to need a running back either to be the guy if Travion leaves or at least compete with Dallin to be the guy and James Peoples or the very least add depth. They can't go in the next season with only three scholarship running backs. Can't do it. Can't do it even, even if you love all three of them. Can't do it because of injuries at that position. So they're going to get a running back in the portal. Um, I imagine they'll get a tight end, although I'm not for sure on that. I would bet they're going to get a tight end. And Coach Day was, like I said, Coach Day was succinct, but clear. They are going to be aggressive in the portal, and it's enhanced by the fact that they signed 21 kids. And they like these 21 kids, but they wanted to get 25 in this class, roughly. He didn't say that exact number, but that's pretty much what they wanted to get. So that gives them even more room to go after kids in the portal. And they lost a lot in the portal. And maybe they'll get more guys back as opposed to leaving for the NFL than what they initially thought. So that's good. But regardless, guys are going to be leaving for the NFL early. They lost 14 scholarship players to the portal. They signed 21, not 25. You add it up. They've got a lot of cap space, so to speak, to go after guys in the portal. So I expect – then you look at defense. I have no doubt they're going to go after a D tackle. You know, hopefully they can land somebody better than Tywone Malone. Nothing against him, but, you know, he's a depth piece. They need to land like a guy that can come in and be a difference maker, not a guy that can come in in the fourth quarter and maybe get some mop-up snaps. No, 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 and no. If you lose Tyleek Williams, you've got to come, you got to get, um, you know, a good defensive tackle. I wouldn't mind seeing them get a defensive end, um, maybe another linebacker. Though, like Steve said, you've got, I mean, I'm okay at linebacker, especially with Cody Simon coming back because I think Gabe Powers is going to take a nice step up. I think CJ Hicks is going to take a step up. Um, I feel like I'm leaving somebody out there, but, um, you know, I think, um, you know, and they'll, they'll probably maybe look at a safety. Maybe look at a safety. I think they'll be all right at corner um, as long as Hancock comes back. So you have Igbenosin, you have Hancock, Jermaine Matthews, Calvin Simpson Hunt. Um, maybe, the, but again, leave no stone unturned. You know, if they can find a corner, bring them in. Um, but I think safeties are probably another one. There were a couple people throwing out names here. Uh, Ramsey from UCLA. It looks like he's headed to USC, where UCLA's former defensive coordinator, the safety. Um, it looks like that's the most likely spot for him. A name from recruiting just a year ago, Tackett Curtis, the linebacker who went to USC. Todd throws his name out there. Um, that's certainly someone they've already spoken to. Jim Knowles was very high on him. Uh, Bill Curlick wrote a story about that Ohio State had been in contact right away when he got in the transfer portal. So we'll see where that one goes. Obviously, his freshman year at USC, though he played a lot, didn't go the way he hoped. Um, and then uh, the Rod Favre, I've been out of the loop. Is there any chance Etienne comes to OSU? That's Trevor Etienne, the brother of uh, the NFL running back. He's transferred from Florida. I pulled this up. There are no crystal balls for him anywhere yet, though I know George has been in contact, and, and that sort, sort of looks like where he is. I don't know if they would go with a running back like that, especially if Travion's going to come back, which is still up in the air. But like you said, Dave, no, no stone unturned. I think they definitely uh, – you know, definitely should be looking at everything. Um, let's flip our focus over to the guys that have announced that they will come back at least for the bowl game. Uh, Dave, I know you've talked about this some on, on the Bucknuts Morning 5. So, Steve, I'll ask you, were you surprised how many of that junior class said we're coming back and we're playing in that game? Well, you know, you have to look at each guy's individual decision. And Mecca Buka is a guy that missed three or four games 
I'm astounded looking at his statistics. He doesn't even have 40 catches on the season. I figured he'd be a guy pushing 70 or 80, you know, this season, all things considered equal. So he has not had the kind of year that he wanted to have. I think if he goes out in this game and has eight catches for 150 yards and a couple touchdowns, that could be his swan song. So, you know, I think his future may hinge on whether he rips these guys up or not. And if not, Potentially, he could come back. So there's A. Uh, Marvin, I figure, is gone. Travion, I'm kind of on the fence. Could we have a situation where Travion skips this game because he's so injury-prone and wants to go into the offseason healthy and yet you know, comes back and plays next season? That's, that's an interesting conundrum uh, in and of itself. I mean, um, he missed several games in midseason as well. Um, you know, and there's – People say, well, there's a shelf life for running backs. You only have so many bumps on your hit card, you know, that, that you can take as a running back and your career's over. You know, does he come back? I'd put it at 50-50, you know, maybe 55-45 in favor of him coming back. I just wonder if Chip Trayonum leaving is an indication that Travion Henderson's coming back if internally they've had that type of communication. And same with Evan Pryor. Evan Pryor jumped off as well which, you know, that didn't make any sense to me other than the fact he was completely dog. I wouldn't even say doghoused. He was just relegated to nothing this year when he seemed to be completely healthy. So, you know, whatever. Uh, going on down the list, Jack Sawyer. Uh, I got to tell you, I've got sources who are telling me he's coming back. So I think he's leaning 90-10 to come back at this point. So that's a, I consider that a very good thing. Tyleek Williams, I would put him on the fence. I would think, you know, probably probably coming back, but there is some second-round talk for him, you know, maybe if he tests well. Michael Jr. has been banged up so much, you know, you wonder about him. Can he improve his stock with another year? So those guys, you know, up in the air. JT Tui Malowal, I would think he's gone and won't play, but – that's just the pessimist in me, I guess. And then Burke, one guy at CBS has him as the 17th pick, which that's kind of an outlier. Most people have him high second round. So uh, is he a guy that could play his way into middle of the first round with a great senior year at Ohio State, possibly? So, you know, what are all these guys thinking? You know, Burke wasn't even really tested this year on the whole. I mean, you know, you he would play and you'd be like, no, that was, you know, didn't hear, hear Denzel Burke's name mentioned much, you know, so good good and bad, I guess. But, um, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with all these guys. I'm uh, Donovan Jackson, you get the angst from him that, you know, he feels like he's got unfinished business, and yet it's a business decision for him. If he's a second-round offensive line pick right now, that could be, you know, for a guard, that's going to be about as high as he's going to go. I can't imagine – People are going to take a guard in the, you know, much beyond late, late first round. I mean, Dave, you you follow NFL a lot closer than I do. Do people take guards in the first round? You got to be really, really you good. Be real good. <laughs> well, so obviously, like Quentin Nelson. I mean, I, I don't think Donovan Jackson fits in that category at all. And I like he's a heck of a young man. And, and I think if he stays, he played better as the season progressed. I thought he was a liability early this season. I thought Donovan Jackson just kept getting better and better and better. And then as a senior third-year starter, if he comes back, 
I think he would do nothing but help his draft stock. Steve, I look at it now, and it's not like he's definitely not undersized. We all know Donovan is is a big young man, but he's also not like for NFL standards. It's not like he's like you know six four three thirty or something like that. You know, he's he's six three, maybe like you know maybe like six two. Um, and didn't have a great year. I would be surprised if he was any better than a third round pick. So I think he will come back. Uh, just a gut feeling there, but um, that'd be I big. Agree. That would I be agree. big. They need him to come. He's a former five star recruit, and that's one thing they haven't really done a good job of. They had Paris Johnson, who's the number one offensive you know, lineman taken in the draft last year, number six overall pick, and is playing well as a rookie for the Cardinals. So. Hopefully Donovan Jackson comes back. That's four starters back yeah. if that happens, and then, and then that gives you get the, yeah. And you don't even need to get like a superstar. I'm talking about like even though Jonah Jackson was a guard, I'm talking about like a Jonah Jackson type, a guy that can come in and be a one year starter at tackle for you. Let Josh Fryer bump inside, and then boom, there you go. And that that transfer I'm talking about, th- like a third round type, just like Jonah Jackson was a third round pick by the Lions, had a really good one year for the Buckeyes in 2019, you know, like a second or third all Big Ten team type transfer. That's well, what Tegra they need. Or Montgomery could fill that job. Tegra or Montgomery could fill that Maybe. job too. Maybe. Yeah. And but you want yeah, and it's like it's like what I think about like building out like a major league baseball pitching staff, like for our Reds. Like they can say, well we got these five guys. Okay, but then you're 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 banking on all five of these guys to stay healthy for the whole year and you're banking on young guys who are unproven. And, and you're also banking on guys that were good, but may are they going to be able to back it up? Depth is good, is my point. You want to go in with, if you have had your druthers, with seven starting offensive linemen, if you know what I mean. Then when yeah. guys get hurt and guys underperform, which is inevitable, then you got your five. So they need to go in thinking, okay, even if we think Tegra's going to be a starter or Montgomery can be a starter, we need to go in and and basically plan on having seven starting offensive linemen. Yeah. That's why, that way when something goes wrong, we've got a good five. I love your Reds analogy because the names Ashcraft, Lodolo, and Green, Williamson, whoever else, they look great when you put them Abbott. When you put them down on paper, they look great. And then we we lived through it last year, Dave. We got about three and a half good months out of all of them. So, right, right. In the damn season last six months. So, yeah, we wear caps and sleeves at this level. It's about 180 innings we're going to need out of you. Well, I'm only going to go about 130, so, you know, <laughs> I'll give you a great 130. Well, I'm going to need two more pitchers then. <laughs> let me same, Exact same premise. Let me ask you guys this. Since the Cotton Bowl matchup was announced on whatever date that was, three weeks ago. I haven't thought about it one bit. Well, but do you do you think people will be more excited I've for got Missouri it? on DVR that I need to go watch? How's oh, that? Hell yes, Pat. Yeah, uh, like, I'm sorry. Where I, I is your question that? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish. Just do you think people will be more excited for it now or getting closer to the game than they were then when it no. looked like you would get Kyle McCord back, not a new quarterback, and you'd have a bunch of guys leave. Now you have a bunch of guys coming back. You've got a new quarterback plan in that game. Go ahead, Dave. It makes it exponentially more interesting for Ohio State fans. I think I can speak for the fan base. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know our fans are not shy about correcting us when we're wrong. It happens quite a bit. But um, I, I can speak for the fan base here. I feel like I've, I've got the pulse because, you know, I it, I grew up a diehard Buckeye fan. Um, this makes it, it went from a very blase, like not just the opponent, although this is a good Missouri team, 10 and 2. They're legit. Um you know, a legit top 10 team. They're not like a, you know, they played Georgia if they were in the playoffs, if they were in the playoffs, they'd be in trouble, but like they're a legit team. Um, 
But like, you know, missing out on the playoff. Oh, Kyle McCord, you know, coming, you know, boom. Everything changes now that Devin Brown. It's like, it's like, are we seeing the beginning of the Devin Brown era? Is this going to be a one and done type situation? Are we going to leave somewhere in between, not knowing if it was the start of the Devin Brown era or if it might be somebody else down the road? Maybe Lincoln Keenholz comes in and plays well. Who knows? But to answer your question, Pat, it's not just more interesting. I think for Buckeye fans, I think it is extremely more interesting for Buckeye fans um, because of Devin Brown and, and all these guys opting in and the attitude that we're seeing. I think a lot of people are questioning the culture. You don't have a bad culture with all these guys opting into a bowl game. Um, so, and just it wasn't just that they opted in, as, as you guys know, this the way they talked, the things that they said, you could see it in their eyes as well. So, um, yeah, man, you add it all up. It's gone from a very blase bowl game, in my opinion, to a very, very interesting bowl game from Ohio State's yeah. perspective. They're going to need to be ready to play because Missouri's coach, Eli Drinkwitz, is an outstanding coach and a great motivator. And he gets his team up to play in big games. I mean, they, they've threatened Georgia two years in a row now. And, you know, have they been a great, great SEC team? No, they played in one SEC championship game a few years ago. So, you know, they've, they've, done, they've done some good things. They've been in the league about a decade now, I think. So um, I think that they're going to come ready to go. Uh, they're going to have most, if not all, of their team on the field. They don't have a lot of high draft picks projected. Like this, is their, this is their Super Bowl. They're this not going to have anybody Super opt Bowl. out. This is their playoff. Yeah, Final this, is, State for them this, is their, this is their yeah. big game. Just joking about whether people are looking forward to it. I said, yeah, the game's on a Friday. Uh, some people will be off then because of the holidays. Some people will work till 2 p.m. that day because of the holidays etc. 5 p.m. I think about four o'clock when people go to their local Kroger to get the 12 pack, get the bottle of booze at the liquor store, get the chips, get the salsa, you know, get the get the 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 buffalo chicken dip ready to go, you know, have your tailgate party at the house. I think about about four o'clock next Friday is when I think people will really about four twenty. About four. About four twenty. They're going to take a turn and say, "I am. Re- I am ready to get ready. Let's go." There yeah. you go. I, I, agree. I asked Jerry Emig, "How many tickets you sell for this?" And uh, all you told me is, "Oh, we got thirteen thousand. You didn't say thirteen thousand. You didn't say eight thousand. You said, "Well, we got thirteen thousand. They had what the Utah game. They gave tickets back to the Rose Bowl, which then went on to Utah people. So." Uh, who all who all went home uh, with whatever <laughs> long, long way back to Salt Lake City with a bleep so you know there you go yeah there was a thread on our board the other day about somebody who's going down or lives in Dallas or is going to the game in Dallas and asked about other people coming and I imagine it will, by the time kickoff happens, it will be there will be a ton of Buckeye fans there. Even if there was disinterest, High State doesn't go to Dallas all that often. There are plenty of Buckeye fans in that area of the country that don't get to see them up close. So yep. even if the diehards are like, I'm out on this game, and I agree with you guys, I don't think they will be, I do think that there will be uh, a significant interest come kickoff for this game. Yeah, I'm just looking on weather, what the weather's supposed to be like in Dallas next week. Because when we were there for the Oregon game, it was like 40 degrees. 
I don't remember the USC game, but it was uh, nice. It rained a lot, but it was not. It was warm. Yes, yeah, Steve, yeah. you and I went and checked out Dealey Plaza, which was really yes. cool. Yes, I mean, cool isn't. I mean, I'm a yeah. JFK assassination. I don't know. Buff. I've, I've always been very, very, very interested in it. I'll put it that way. I guess Boy, I, know, in my eyes, I know a lot of information about it. I, I guess I kind of am a buff, and it was really cool being there, Dealey Plaza, and how. And I already knew people was like, "You're going to be surprised at how small it is." Even knowing that, I was like, "Damn, this is all. This is like pretty small area." But uh, yeah, we've had good uh, weather the last couple times. Yeah, uh, the highs highs are in the mid fifties. Highs are in the mid fifties, and the lows are in the mid thirties. So that's good weather. Uh, got some friends who are going to take their golf clubs. I was like. But we have interview sessions right in the middle of the day, the two days that I'm going to be there. And it's like, I can't get away to go play golf. So, yeah, bummer. Uh, yeah. Steve, our big golf aficionado here. Well, we lost Dave, but uh, we're about to wrap up anyway. Steve, uh, thank you for jumping on. I know uh, you said you had about 40 minutes and we're yeah. 51 minutes in. Oh, Dave's back. Um, so thanks, Dave. You too. Thank you for uh, hopping out of the shower to jump on here. I appreciate it. Look, I figured we had a big day yesterday. We needed all three of us. We try and do it sometimes on the BM5. It doesn't always work. Today works. So thank you. guys. Hey, Ohio State versus New Orleans tonight. The last time Ohio State will play a team that's outside the Power Five. The rest, they play West Virginia, then all Big Ten after that. And uh, after this game, they're going to take two or three days off for the holiday. Everybody will go home. Come back next week, get ready to play West Virginia, and the grind will begin for this team. I think they're going to be 10 and 2 after tonight. They're a 23 point favorite. And this team lost by 33 points at Minnesota. New Orleans did. So it's on BTN Plus. So not many people will get to see it. You guys will love this. I popped myself with the uh, preview today. I wrote fans living in Central Ohio may attend this game. So, <laughs> you know. If you want, you can get a $5 ticket probably and go down there to Value City Arena tonight and see the see the lads in action. And, uh, you know, uh, that was a fun win for them over UCLA uh, last Saturday down in Atlanta. And uh, glad I was able to be there for that for our company, CBS Sports Classic. And, uh, you know, last, last tune-up tonight before the, the bullets fly for real next week. Before we reach the dreaded January uh... – no, let's don't do that now. Talk hey, on. They, look, if they start winning in January, we can Back of life, I know. All yeah. right, Steve, thanks again. Dave, thanks for supporting your 2023 MLS Cup Champions Columbus crew on the Bucknuts Happy Hour. Um, I will talk to both of you soon. And, uh, yeah, I'll let you guys go, and then I'll wrap it up. So thanks again, guys. All right, take care. All right, thanks again to both of them. My guys – at Bucknuts and 24-7 Sports with me, Dave Biddle and Steve Hellwagon. Appreciate them. Both very busy this time of year with the coverage of everything we've got going on. Plus, it's the holidays coming up. And speaking of the holidays, next week, a uh, busy week with Christmas on Monday, New Year's coming up after that. We will be down in Dallas. So we will be uh, – we'll, we'll do another one of these before the Cotton Bowl, probably Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm guessing. Once we uh, get down there, get the lay of the land, figure that out, we'll certainly let you know on the Bucknuts message board. I also usually put it out on social media. So stay tuned to that. We'll, we'll have plenty more coverage. Still stuff from signing day. If you haven't checked out Bucknuts today, there's a bunch of stuff on there from, from yesterday, which is Wednesday signing day. And then we'll have plenty more as we lead into the Cotton Bowl 
as Dave and Steve both said, I think it's more interesting than people initially thought. I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for tuning in, Buckeye fans, and we will talk to you once we're down in Dallas. Cheers. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.